0: Online at KFUO.org.
1: And welcome, you confessors, to the show where we seek to be of one mind. That is the mind of Christ. And we are gathered here today with a cohort of Christ-Confessing Concordians. Not the full company that we usually have. We're short one, but uh, we do have Pastor Merritt Dembski, who's pastor somewhere i don't know I, I think it's emmanuel waterloo is that it Correct. sorry my brain just blinked the second i started to say that so. and
2: emmanuel happens to be in the great state of illinois in right. case anybody was waterloo asking. illinois yes.
1: yeah. yeah now we've got it out all right we also <laughs> have pastor peter ill who you just heard his voice and he's pastor at trinity and milstadt also in illinois indeed and i'm pastor sean smith your host and i'm pastor of two parishes st paul's and Winehill, also illinois and Emmanuel West Point. Kentucky. Also oh, Illinois. Sorry. No, so <laughs> it's, it's it's a very Illinois day today here inside the studio that is in St. Louis, Missouri. So just so that we're all caught up on where everyone is and what everyone's doing. But this is also worldwide KFUO. It is. Which is Christ for you anytime, anywhere. And so we are going worldwide, and worldwide, you can call in. This is a call-in show. If you would like clarification on any of the things that we're talking about, if you have a question and would like to interact with us, you are free to do so, and you can call worldwide, 1-800-730-2727. You can also uh, reach us through social media means, send email. You could try snail mail, but it'll take a little while to get here. We'll have to wait for another show, but uh, there's certainly certainly free to... Check and, in those ways, too.
2: And online, you can reach us at KFUO Radio.
1: That's right. All right. At Facebook and Twitter, right?
2: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, too, I think, if you want okay. to Instagram wow. stuff. But I don't do the whole Instagram thing, so... Yeah, sometimes people think that yeah.
1: pastors are, you know, a you know, full of themselves and so forth, but I've noticed not a lot of us have Instagram. Have you seen which I most of is, us? Yeah. I mean, probably there's probably a, good there's a really good reason for this. Yes, this is true. I, I, I often say, like, I used to do college ministry when I was in Indiana, and they would say, Pastor, you should really get Instagram. I was like, why? So that I can take a picture, you know, studying the Greek text, preparing my sermons. How exciting, right? You know, it's just not that exciting. I'm sorry, my life is just not that exciting. <laughs>
2: Indeed. And, <laughs> and, and I just confess to having a face for radio. So I'm more than happy to acknowledge that, be honest about it, uh, to, to get to say that truth. And so we get to be in the business of truth-saying today as we study the Apology of the Augsburg yes, Confession. Yes, now
1: that we've got this ridiculousness out of the way, let's get us down to what we're here for, what we're really good at, I hope, I pray, and that is confessing the truth of god's word as we have it gathered together in our lutheran confessions we continue to make our way through the apology of the augsburg confession that is the defense of our augsburg confession that chief confession of our lutheran christian faith and this is the defense of that and we are at the end of article 12 A, we might even make it into part B of this article yet today, Uh, but uh, we are picking up with paragraph 91, uh, which is really serving as a summary of this whole article that is talking about repentance especially as we have it here in part a and it's going to continue in part B, which talks of confession and satisfaction, which is certainly a related issue. But let me go ahead and read here for a little bit. And then I will ask our uh, cohort of Christ confessing concordians to reflect upon what we have here and discuss a little more. So picking up paragraph 91 faith and repentance, we have declared why we assigned these two parts, contrition and faith to repentance. We have done this willingly. Many writings about repentance are published that cite the fathers in a butchered way. The adversaries have distorted these to put faith out of sight. Among these, our repentance is to lament past evils and not to commit again deeds that ought to be lamented. Again, repentance is a kind of vengeance of him who grieves, thus punishing in himself what he is sorry for having committed. In these passages, no mention is made of faith. Not even in the schools, when they interpret them, is anything added about faith. Therefore, in order that the doctrine of faith might be clearer, we have named it among the parts of repentance. For experience shows that those passages are dangerous that require contrition or good works, and make no mention of justifying faith. Caution can justly be desired in those who have collected these sentos of the sentences and decrees." since the fathers speak in some places about one part of repentance and in other places about another part it would have been good to select and combine their judgments not only about one part but about both that is about contrition and faith and we're going to pause there he's going to cite a few of these examples of where the fathers talk about contrition and faith and repentance as kind of the broad idea here and it's kind of like we talk about in proof texting you know if you just take one thing out of the context of how they're writing it's going to lead to some dangerous errors but let's back up and get this summary statement of what it's been saying for pages here about what the nature of repentance is pastor Dembski, you want to go ahead and jump in here contrition
3: and faith so this point that uh that faith is often left off, that it's got to be something that you do, that you've made up for, that you've uh, earned your salvation in some way, and faith was constantly left off of that. And so the the confessors are trying to emphasize the fact that there is this contrition, this uh, realizing that you have sinned and agreeing that you have uh, deserved God's wrath and faith that Christ has forgiven your sins and uh, trusting those words of absolution.
2: And the problem that they are addressing is that these teachers who are quoting the church fathers are saying that it's all about the contrition, but they don't leave any room for faith. And if you are simply contrite for your sins, if you just feel bad about your sins and you're going to use your guilt and your grief over your sins to punish yourself so that you can do a better job of being a better Christian, then that's going to lead you one of two ways it's either going to lead you into despair where you just realize i can't do it and i can't ever get contrite enough and sorry enough to take away this guilt that i have i can't be a good enough person or you think that you can be a good enough person and that you are being a good enough person and then it leads to pride so this idea of contrition without faith leads you to pride or to despair where it doesn't take you is to jesus it doesn't take you to christ and this contrition is ultimately when left alone and without faith self-serving and selfish and
1: and we keep using contrition here can we back up i know we've talked about this before on the show but just kind of a, a brief refresher uh could one of you identify what do we what is it we mean when we say contrition pastor demsky
3: that we feel bad for our sin that we acknowledge that we have sinned against god and deserve his wrath and i know way back in the beginning of this article there was all the uh, discussion of attrition or contrition and attrition being the the whole uh you're scared of punishment and that's why you're sorry or contrition which is you feel bad for what you've done and the confessor saying why are we trying to nitpick and figure out how we're feeling it's just the acknowledgement that we've done something wrong and we deserve god's wrath for it
1: yeah and i i even want to move a little away perhaps from saying feel bad um, because sometimes i don't feel all that bad Mm -hmm. about things that I, i acknowledge are wrong right uh and 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 i think that that's a really important distinction to make and especially in our modern day age
3: where we kind of hang everything maybe too much
1: not everything maybe too much on feelings,
3: well, and, and we emote everything. We don't always say, "I think this." It's just, "I feel this."
2: And so, he says in a deadpan voice,
3: "Yes." <laughs> no, but we we do say, "I feel about stuff," so that acknowledgement of the truth, rather than just, "I feel that this is that I've done something against God," but acknowledging that, according to God's word, I have sinned in thought, word, and deed, and I acknowledge that I deserve His His punishment.
1: Yes. And sorry for that noise, we're pastor ill decided to move the microphone and make noise but jumping back into what you said uh yes this is uh, absolutely uh, the, the nature of it and i was thinking about this recently you know are, are there pictures images that we can use to help kind of understand what it is that we mean by contrition and faith that both of these things are wrapped up and then yesterday morning i was driving along and uh, on my way to make a visit and i heard two of the best pastors that i have ever known who were discussing a text on a certain radio station it could be this one i don't know and they were discussing you listen to other
3: radio stations
1: no never (laughs) (laughs) i mean what what other radio stations present the clear truth of scripture as well as this i mean are there really even other radio stations that talk about scripture and have such great Bible studies. I You've would got say me that. So, yep, yeah, I mean, true. certainly not as long as KFU. We are, we are, been around doing it longer than anyone else in the United States. But anyway, they were talking about Luke chapter 15 and uh, they were talking about the parable of the prodigal son. And I thought, wow. This is really quite the picture of what we mean by contrition and faith. And just the way that those two pastors were excellently talking about this, too, where we had the uh, recognition by the first son, the one that we kind of make the parable all about. And I'm not sure that it's even really all about that son. And the, these pastors were saying that, too, that uh that, that first son, you know, he, he's sitting there. Eating the food that the pigs get, and he just has a realization of, you know, the hired workers in my father's house have it better than I do. There's contrition, right? I mean, an acknowledgement of, wow, this is, this is pretty. Pretty bad situation I'm in here. I'm going to go return to my father's house because the servants have it. They're better. And then I also saw, uh, especially the way these pastors were talking about it, faith in the second son, and uh, specifically the lack of faith, the lack of trust in the goodness of the father that made him do what he did, which was walk away from the party and so forth. I, I'd like to bring in one of those excellent pastors if I could. I, I think it was Pastor Peter Ill was one of them on there talking about that. Do you have any reflection about this contrition of faith, especially as we see it? And that biblical image that we're given.
2: I do. I have, I have lots. But I, I will limit myself to just this idea that the son is there in the foreign land. The first son who has squ- uh, squandered his father's wealth in uh, reckless living. And he comes up with this really big, bold confession. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Hire me on as a servant. Uh, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And he has this this full, long, weighty confession. And when he gets home, his father runs out to him. And he gets about halfway through his his big, contrite confession that he's going to make. And his father cuts him off. Uh, because his father isn't interested in the full contrition. It's not the quality or the amount of repentance and contrition that this son has that is going to uh, make him acceptable in the eyes of the father. But it is the relationship that the father has with him. And even when the son isn't sure and doesn't seem to think that his father will welcome him as a son uh, and is asking merely to be a servant, the father grants him that sonship and gives him all of the marks of sonship, the robe and the shoes and the ring and the party, because he is so excited that his son who was dead is alive and so he throws this party but as you were talking about examples of contrition in scripture it got me thinking about king david after he had sinned with bathsheba uh, david didn't realize that he had done anything wrong until the prophet nathan comes in and speaks with him and he, he starts to have a story time with prophet nathan which i think would always be a little bit scary and he says, let me tell you a story about a man who had one lamb and a man who had lots of sheep. And the man with lots of sheep had a guest come and he went over to the man who had just the one lamb uh, where the lamb slept in his bed. And he took the lamb and he killed it and he served it as supper to his guest. Uh, what do you think of that? and King David is furious and he said, oh he needs to repay it fourfold and and that man is is ultimately a scoundrel. Well, then Nathan hit him with the zinger. You are that man. And David went on to uh, to repent of his sin. This is where we have one of the great psalms of both contrition and repentance, Psalm 51, and th- the son that David and Bathsheba had uh, after he was born was sick and David uh, fasted for those days when after his son was born and he prayed. And he, he knew that this was a terrible situation and that he was a, a poor miserable sinner who deserved what he was uh, receiving and more and then uh, after the child died. David's servants didn't even want to tell him that the child died. And apparently he could see them all kind of talking to each other. And he said, Has the child died? And they said, He has. And the servants were afraid that if David was fasting and weeping and inconsolable when the child was sick, that he was really going to lose it now that the child had died. But then he got up and he said, Okay, now I'll eat. Uh, The Lord, essentially, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Uh, He had devoted himself to prayer, recognizing the severity of his own actions, not just feeling them, but knowing them and giving voice to those words that we need to be cleansed. We need to be given a new heart, just like he was, just like is true in that parable of the two sons, just as true in our lives today, where we see the weight of God's word saying you're not even close to following the law. You can't ever do it. And every time we look at something that we've done, it's like we've been outside playing in the dirt again, and then we smear dirt all over everything that we touch. And that sin clings to us so closely. The good news is Jesus clings to us more closely still and cleans up that infection and that disease of sin uh, that we see so often in our lives. Yeah, and
1: I think that you know, certainly scripture is full of these beautiful examples. I mean, it it is one of the chief reasons that scripture is given to us first to reveal where our salvation comes from, right? All centered on Christ Jesus. That's its primary focus. But in all of these biblical stories and so forth, it focuses our attention on kind of the roadmap of how we receive these gifts of God. And and, And I brought up the the prodigal son one because i i was just listening uh yesterday and and it made me think of it but also i think one of the dangers of the david story and i think it's right to bring it in here but we always want to be clear about this when he when he goes into the fasting and so forth these are not works of satisfaction and we could certainly talk more about this when we get into part b of this the this this is where you know the adversaries roam at the time of the reformation and so forth would have distorted such a thing and we would even still see to that really you know there are some out there in christianity that would make it seem like you have to show these outward signs of repentance and i don't think that's why it comes in with david david does it because it is a part of repentance it's it's a pure acknowledgement of this is how bad my situation is and i feel terrible about it and that's why faith is so important because then faith clings to that promise and knows I am rescued from this. I am saved from this. Um, but I think so- sometimes there there are many out there, and certainly is historically true, that they'll point to a story like David and say, well, see, you have to do something. And that's one of the reasons that I was thinking as I was listening to the prodigal son. It's such a beautiful image of it, because the son does nothing but realize how terrible his situation is, and then he receives the pure pure mercy and grace of the father.
3: Well, and people might be tempted to think, why do we study this old book that's about all this old stuff that's way back, you know, 500 years ago? What's what's the point of any of it? And yet, like you said, it's stuff that's still around today, that you have people talk about repentance, and there's nothing about faith. There's nothing at all that there's any kind of acknowledgement of faith in Christ. Like, there's a talk maybe that Jesus died on the cross, and that's good to know, so you can be aware that it happened. But um you could easily hear someone say repentance is to lament past evils and not to commit again deeds that ought not that ought to be lamented the end you know and that that would be the end of it and it's just did you do enough did you feel enough did you you know and then that becomes where that source of hope and peace is which uh as pastor ill said either leads to a uh despair or um, pride pride and um uh, when you think about those two you, you have a justification that happens there too because either you feel terrible about it or you're going to try to explain why it's not so bad or I am as emotive as I can be about this and so God God's happy with how, how I feel about this and so it's okay and you still find out that faith is left off and people so often take that for granted they don't even think about the fact that it's missing until you really dig in and say no that's the key core element of it." it's like oh yeah I guess we haven't been talking about that at all <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I think you make a great point there too. You know, and and I have even recently heard this, and not to talk negatively about Christian brothers and sisters, we do believe that they're brothers and sisters in Christ, but we we think that they have a mixed confession of what they say about Scripture uh, or, or what Scripture actually says, right? And I heard this from uh, a Baptist here recently, um, talking about how you know you're you're not really a Christian until you know you 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 repent and you do these things and, and change your change your life is literally what they said to me. And I just remember thinking, wow, what a burden because, you know, as I'm still a redeemed saint, right, I'm still also yet a sinner and I don't always change. I I certainly endeavor to and I desire to continue to be in God's word and And I pray for his sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to make me draw me along in that holy living as we've talked about many times on this show. And, and the more confidence I come to have that faith, that, that comfort of faith that Christ has died for this too. I am forgiven. I receive the graciousness of God. Of course, I desire to, to have, you know, this, this life that lives in accord with the word. And I'm going to spend more time in the word. Um, but, uh, telling me that, you know, I have to show this by the way that i live well that makes it a condition that really becomes quite a burden for the conscience
3: well and I, I see that all over the place especially and it's it's tough not to jump in and try to correct that if you see it just passing on social media or something but just today i saw something i'm looking at right now it says it doesn't matter how many sundays you sit in church or if you think you're saved god sees what you do to and how you treat people that's what really matters amen it's like Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> like 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 that you've got nothing about Christ, you've got nothing about faith, you got nothing in there except it's uh, like by all means like you said we do want to treat others well we do want to love others and that's what we're called to do as christians right i mean it, this the gospel lesson from this past sunday was uh, love others as i have loved you right i mean and so but when you see this the uh, people wouldn't even think about it They'd be like yeah that's a great point you got to live it out but it's like yeah where's the hope resting though <laughs> you know where's the
2: peace the quality of your contrition is not the gospel and so often we try to take the hope and the comfort that only the gospel can bring and put that on the quality and the amount and the sincerity of our contrition. Mm-hmm.
1: That is very well said. That that is an excellent point to be made here. And let's let's go ahead and then just right before we get into break here jump in and get a little of the examples from the fathers on this. I'm going to read this. Tertullian I'm sorry sorry speaking <laughs> tongue tied all of a sudden <laughs> Tertullian does that to Tertullian, me too Tertullian okay. Yes and I'm picking and I tried to stop myself and say I'm picking up with paragraph 94 so now we're paragraph 94 Tertullian now i'm thinking about it there we go speaks very well about faith discussing the oath in the prophet ezekiel as i live declares the lord god i have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live as god swears that he does not want the death of a sinner he shows that faith is required in order that we may believe the one swearing and be firmly confident that he forgives us In our estimation, the authority of the divine promises should be great by itself. But this promise has also been confirmed by an oath. Therefore, if anyone is not confident that he is forgiven, he denies that God has sworn what is true. A more honorable blasphemy cannot be imagined. For Tertullian says, he invites by reward to salvation, even swearing, saying, I live. He desires that he be believed. O blessed we, for whose sake God swears, Almost miserable if we believe not the Lord, even when he swears that's that's a that's a pretty weighty example there
2: it is, but the point that he makes that the confidence in forgiveness comes from the one who swears, the one who promises the one who thinks that this is a really important uh thing and so here comes christ with his forgiveness here comes the promises of god for you and that is the christian hope and confidence it's not in the quality of your contrition it's not in if you're sincere enough it is all about god declares it and when god declares it as true then you can rest assured it is indeed true You know, and its I know people talk a lot of times about
3: if someone's had a difficult time with their father growing up, they have a tough time with the understanding of God as father, you know, and those kind of things. But in the culture we live in, it's very rare that you have someone that keeps their word, you know, without something written on paper or that kind of thing. So when we hear about God swears that there is forgiveness like i get that in writing is there a you know like that kind of thing but that's i have it underlined in here that therefore if anyone is not confident that he is forgiven he denies that god he denies that god has sworn what is true you know and that's such a beautiful phrase. And I know that's part of the confession absolution too. Do you believe that the words I speak are God's words to you? Yes I do. <laughs> you know. Yeah.
1: Certainly in the in the private confession absolution mm-hmm. which you're citing there too. And and I think this is also connected with the very issue, I think you make an excellent point here of why we're encouraged not to swear, to just simply mm-hmm. let our yes be yes and our no be no, right? Because how often our is our swearing not trustworthy i mean i not to call you out here pastor dunsky but i am uh... right right before we oh, came on the time show, i don't know oh, yeah, <laughs> you actually uh... were doing this thing you were doing it innocently you know you just said you know you were giving the example that because of busy schedules and so forth for all of us we we never seem to get our full team in here and you said i swear one day we'll get our our whole team in here and i said well don't swear because you, you have no guarantees that this will be yes and you no be no. it does, it does call to mind and, but for god when he swears this is why it's so vit- vital and important. It, yes, it is. Yes, it is very much so trustworthy, and that's really what faith is. It clings to that promise.
3: And one of my favorite phrases lately has been, "Words mean things," you know. And, <laughs> and so, like, I try to be cautious, and I, you know, you caught me on not being cautious and not thinking about the words that I was saying, you know. But uh, there's there's a lot of phrases that we just say outright, not thinking about what they actually mean or the import of it. But when we hear that God swears that forgiveness like, whoa, that really means something. It means what it says. Indeed, words mean things,
1: and that is a great place to go to break here as we talk about repentance, which means that Christ forgives you, especially when we compare it with contrition and faith. Not compare it, but we understand it with contrition and faith. We cling to that promise. Christ loves you. Please come right back right after this break.
3: Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their metal against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO.
1: My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion.
2: I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family.
0: America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home.
3: At DAV.
0: When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.
4: I accept the honor which the American people have conferred upon me.
0: Today marks the birth of the 33rd President of the United States, Harry S. Truman. He never went to college, but was educated not only in history, but in a thorough knowledge of the Bible with the sudden death of President Franklin Roosevelt on April 12, 1945. A little-known vice president became president of the United States in what would be the final year of World War II. On April 16,
3: 1945, President Harry Truman addressed a joint session of Congress. Using words from First Kings chapter 3, verse 9, he said, As
0: I have assumed my heavy duties, I humbly pray, Almighty God, in the words of King Solomon, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? Brought to you by Museum of the Bible.
1: And welcome back to Concord Matters, that show where we are seeking to be of one mind. That is the mind of Christ. And we are here with our cohort of Christ Confessing Concordians, Pastor Meridemsky, Pastor Peter Hill, and myself, your host, Pastor Sean Smith. You can call in worldwide at 1 eight hundred seven three zero two seven two seven. 730 2727. You can find us at KFUO Radio. radio. KFUO, at KFUO Radio on the Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and. I don't know what else. But we do have a caller, and so let's go ahead and go to our caller, Martin from St. Louis, Missouri.
4: Yes. Uh, two comments. Uh, the, the discussion brought up a memory. Uh, having been raised Catholic, I remember the the nun having taught us that uh, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is twofold. It's either despair or presumption. And I don't recall how Deep, she went into elaborating on that, but that, that always stuck with me. Uh, despair or presumption? And I think that's correct. And, and the, the second comment, it's, it's kind of funny, is, uh, oh, back sometime in the mid-1990s, I was driving through Illinois, and there was a little church with a, a, a sign outside which said, quote, when you're so full of the things of God, there is no room for sin, unquote. And the phone number was there, so I, I called it, and the pastor's wife spoke, and I said, you know, that, that's really not scriptural. I, I don't remember my words, but I, I said, you know, John says, if we say we have no sin, you know, et cetera, et cetera. and left it at that. Well, about an hour later, I got a call from the pastor himself, and he was furious. Oh, he was livid. And uh, I told him the same thing, and I told his wife, you know, and he finally wound up screaming, you need to get saved. And... I've heard that from other people too. You need to get saved. Any thoughts
1: on that, and no, I'll hang up. And listen. Well, I just wanna I want to comment on and thank you for calling in, Martin, and, and thank you for those uh, two thoughts. I'm gonna have Pastor L respond to the first one, but uh, just on that second one, it, it does draw up the mind too. Of I, I like your your citing of their of uh, First John, uh, but it also talks about the importance of faith uh, in connection with the contrition, because First John certainly talks about you know, indeed, if anyone says he has no sin, then he's a liar, and he makes God out to be a liar, right? Which is very serious situation but then it also he also writes in there he says these are written so that you may not sin but for anyone who does sin you have an advocate with the father jesus christ right and so it points us to exactly where the object of our faith christ jesus and indeed we cannot say that we are so full of jesus that that we cannot or or whatever it was that the sign said i think it said he said it said jesus yeah um that we have no sin that that would be make ourselves liars and call god a liar but certainly we have this faith that clings to it but go ahead and jump in on the first point there. on that
2: first thought about the blasphemy against the holy spirit being either uh, despair or presumption very much like the despair and pride that we were talking about back in the first half of the program today that's really true because blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is unbelief, and you can even take that unbelief and call it self-idolatry. Despair and presumption or pride are both self-idolatry of saying, I'm so bad I'm beyond being saved, or saying, I'm so good that I can save myself, and both of those things put the self into the place of the judge, the jury and the executioner into the place of God. And there we see that self idolatry to be a rejection of God's work as the Holy spirit calls, gathers and enlightens and sanctifies all people. We end up saying, Oh no, I don't need the Holy spirit either because he can't do it or because I can do it all by myself. Well,
3: and and to that point, um, uh, Oh man, I got thrown off. There was to a point there. Yeah, well, there was a point. Hold on, uh, <laughs> this is great radio.
1: Pastor I know, right? I'm Sorry,
2: there, <laughs> for those of you who aren't in studio, there was this great game of semaphore <laughs> with pointing and like I think I thought there was a sign to go steal second going on. No. Uh,
3: that's a baseball term, right? It is okay.
2: <laughs> I know movies and comics. It doesn't help comics. us get back to the know. point.
3: No, um, no, but the the the, the more subtle point than just I can do enough is the uh, I'm sure God's happy with what I've done, you know. And it's the same statement, but it doesn't sound as bad, right? But it's the same thing. And to that uh, that sign, you know, growing up, I don't know that I ever heard that First John passage at all. I don't know that I had, I, maybe, because I, I know I'd read the Bible, but not that it had really stuck out to me of what it was saying. And uh, I didn't grow up Lutheran. but And even if I had read it, I don't know if I'd have thought that it was just talking to non-Christians. If you say you don't have sin, then you deceive yourselves. But once you're a Christian, then you are good. You know, not thinking about the context that he's writing to Christians, that he's, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so every week it would just be, did I emote enough that I felt bad enough? And if I sinned, well, I must not have been a Christian in the first place. So I got to really mean it this week when I go to church and raise my hand or go up to the front or whatever, you know, versus actually um, having that faith that what God said versus how I felt or what I did. Yeah. yeah, And I, I think this makes a, a,
1: a <clears throat> subtle point as well that, you know, th- this is exactly why the liturgy, is so helpful and so important because you mentioned it and Grow Up Lutheran and you had read the Bible and so you're sure that you had read that or seen that. But the liturgy, repetitive by its very nature and especially the liturgy that I grew up with, has those very words connected with the confession and absolution. I mean, we began our services saying it every single Sunday and this is why it is such a beautiful thing that the liturgy goes hand in hand with what we believe as Christ- as in, in practice of our Christian faith. And so it does kind of drill this in week after week of exactly, I I cannot forget exactly where I stand here. I also wanted to jump in too, in in that thought about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And I think that this is, you know, a a, a point where we want to do talk about that. Certainly this is the, the issue of if we only have the contrition, but not the faith it really is a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Um, and then certainly as sin still yet clings to us, sometimes we lead to these sinful issues where we don't believe firmly the promises of God and, and we are led to despair or pride, right? Um, but certainly we want to uh, uh emphasize the importance of faith here that clings to that promise. And once again, I, I just think of that beautiful image of the prodigal son that. He he really struggled with this in coming back to the father. He didn't believe that he would receive sonship back. He didn't think that he was deserving of it, and he was lacking the faith and trust there. But yet there was also faith and trust there to know that it is better in his father's house than where he was. And so I that's often the comfort that I give to folks that are stuck in that tension so that they may not despair and that they may indeed have great faith that clings to that promise. No, your father really is that good to you see the party that he's throwing for you see how he treats you as his own dearly loved child uh, no matter how much you have wandered off and squandered everything good and wished that he was dead and had no part right uh and, and so this really is the the beauty of making sure that the faith is there in connection with contrition when we talk about repentance because it's what sets our conscience at ease ultimately
3: and to your point about the liturgy, I mean, that's what we do. We come before the Father, acknowledging our sin, receiving the absolution, praising his name, and, and there's so much to it. And uh, we were just talking about this in our congregation, trying to figure out how best to relay a service if people aren't there or something without it being a substitute for church, you know, and that kind of thing. But uh, so oftentimes people will share a sermon and it'll be like, oh, that's the important thing from service. It's like, Well, it is an important thing, but that doesn't replace and mean that nothing else was important of it. You know, the whole service, there is something happening, and it's beautiful, not just that 15, 20-minute, 30-minute, whatever, you know, length of sermon is in the specific congregation. And yet uh, we uh, too oftentimes think, oh, wait, that's the important part, and the rest of it's just the stuff we do, and, you know, but then we get to the sermon, and that's the important thing.
2: And sometimes we even fall into the trap of talking about the lord's supper that way or the absolution that way Mm -hmm. and we try to boil down the entire church service into this one part or that one part and it's wonderful to have these these excellent points where we receive god's grace and god's forgiveness where he swears to us that he brings that forgiveness That's fantastic, but he does it again and again and again to the point where you just can't isolate this one way or the other way that God speaks to you in the divine service. He speaks to you all of the times that he knows you need to hear it and in all of the different ways that you need to hear it. Yeah, and...
1: It, it draws to mind not to belabor the point but i do think it is a big point that is really helpful especially for any lady that are listening and also an encouragement for our pastors that may be listening and encouragement for ourselves it draws to mind um, the pastoral care companion has a note in the preface or introduction of it or whatever uh, that has always kind of stuck in my mind that says you know the liturgy provides the language of pastoral care I just think that that's really quite beautiful and has been a real encouragement for me in my own pastoral care that I just go out and I do the liturgy with folks. And I realized this first when I was a hospital chaplain, fresh out of seminary, and uh, I was serving as a hospital chaplain, and I would go in and I would, you know, do liturgical things with them. And I would speak liturgically and explain where necessary and so forth and listen and get to know folks and interact with the needs that they have. But ultimately the soul care that I was applying was provided all beautifully already in the liturgy and provides that repetition of life that I wouldn't want to take that from them. But I, I recognized that um, as I served as a chaplain, I served on a team of chaplains from a various strain of, of different denominations and so forth, and I was in a Catholic hospital chain. It was pretty much only I and the Catholic priests that were doing this liturgy stuff and going in there, uh, and and pretty much no one else was. And again, that's not to to talk negatively about our Christian brothers and sisters, but I just noticed how... How different it was and yet how beautifully comforting it was for the folks to hear these words of scripture that they have gone through and recited throughout their life and, and, and received in the liturgy. And then in the midst of the trials and tribulations of life, they receive them again as the pastor brought them to them. And so I've continued that practice as many Lutheran pastors do. When I go out and I do my shut-in visits or when I go out and I do hospital visits, I simply bring the liturgy, the gifts of the liturgy with me, certainly while I bring them devotional thoughts or I do a mini-sermon for them or I bring them a recording of my sermon so that they can hear that. Um, and I certainly bring the Lord's Supper and so forth, but I, I I just bring the whole liturgy because ultimately it's that comfort that they need from God's own word.
3: It almost sounds like the words of scripture are the important thing rather than us re you know uh, recreating the wheel each time
2: <laughs> right yeah and that's exactly where the liturgy is drawn from exactly yeah. yeah and i know that one of the christians that i get to serve and get to visit with uh, is having a hard time speaking uh, and so when i get to go see her uh, i take my hymnal and we actually sing the church service and and she has a hard time speaking but if it looks like if she thinks that i'm about to forget to sing the next song part she she taps my book uh it 's also very important that I sing the right notes, so she taps my book to make sure that I know what 's going on um, so that she can sing along with me, and so that those words that have filled her mouth as God has opened her lips so that her mouth might declare his praise are there and and they come forth, and it is a a beautiful thing
1: and and certainly you know it it, it definitely connects in with you know, we, we talked about many times when it comes with those who, you know, have sight issues, as I have some folks that I visit that, that have a hard time seeing. Well, they don't even need it because they've done it their whole life. And that's beauty of repetition, right? Or dementia sets in and starts to affect the brain, but things that you've done your whole life are there. And, and it provides the language that we need. And to bring it back to the issue of repentance at hand, this also helps us in our stuckness because we so often, if we live emotively, it's there one minute and gone the next, right? But these things that become a part of you can draw you out of things when you are stuck because you are stuck in the midst of a grave sin and so forth. Scripture draws you out of that. And you say, oh, wait, I know exactly where I need to go with this. Right. I recognize that I do sin. I don't want to call God a liar. I am not a liar. Right. I, I am a sinner. But when I sin, I have an advocate with the Father. And, and and all of these things start to become a part of us. And we know the language of how to confess because as we're sinners, and we've talked about in the show before, we don't even confess right. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's incomplete, uh, and 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 yet here's God's own word that makes it complete. And I can trust it. I can believe it. And so also I can trust the words that I hear from my pastor, drawn from Scripture, that Christ has died for this too. You are forgiven, and and these words really do become a part of you and draw you out of the midst of the the mess.
2: Living in the pattern of repentance is a pretty good rut to be stuck in.
1: Mm-hmm. Talk more about that. Uh, well, you we just did, wanted to drop a one liner for a Twitter post, but I am going to make you say more.
2: Great. Uh, so, a lot of times we talk about getting stuck in a rut, like it's a bad thing. But this this pattern of being repentant and having a structure that that continues to drive us back into this pattern it, it starts to carve well kind of ruts in our spiritual life and and we get stuck there kind of like a kind of like a toboggan run or uh you know with the sleds with the grooves and we end up going that same path and and walking that same pattern and it gets to the point where if we feel repentant or not if we feel contrite or not We repent because that's what we need and Christ who does fill us is the one who purifies and makes holy our contrition and our repentance because he is faithful and we continue to confess that very faith that God is faithful even when my own contrition and my own repentance is screwed up. Here he comes with his faithfulness doing what I can't do and providing his forgiveness and his grace and his peace.
1: Yeah, and I want to hang on that word that you had there, pattern. I don't don't know if that's Mm -hmm. initially the way you said it or not, uh, because kind of the way i was talking the image that i had was you know a truck stuck in the mud spinning its tires and god's word draws us out of there it's kind of the you know the rock that goes in there so that the tires have something to grab onto and and get out right you know that that's that's not repentance spinning your tires in the mud is not repentance right but there is a pattern of repentance as we are simultaneously saint and sinner at the same time we we are continually going to struggle in sin until christ comes with the fullness of the victory on that last day or until we go to be at peace with him awaiting that last day, right? But uh, you know, so as we live in this sin-broken world, we don't want to be spinning our tires in the mud, right? And God's word really can draw us out. And that's where I was making the point. The liturgy draws us out of there so that we can be in the pattern of repentance, seeing our sin, recognizing it. And how do we know that it's sin? Well, because we know God's word. We know the Ten Commandments. We know our small catechism. These things are ingrained in a part of us and we repeat them over and over again. And so I can look at that as you know, I, I've joked on this show before. I think it's been a couple of years since I, I last said it though, actually. So maybe maybe our more recent listeners don't know this. But uh, uh I, I'm one of those weird people that drives down the road and I listen sometimes to secular music. So I guess I do listen to some other radio stations from time to time, like when this goes off air in the evenings. And I will sit there and call out uh what what commandments these songs are talking about breaking <laughs> it just you know uh Jessie's girl is the classic sixth commandment uh it's also you know commandment things, why, why is Peter Ill Like looking in shame at me? Do you think I'm a weird ball because I just drive down like practicing my catechism it's tough when he in hears everyday that any, life?
3: It's tough when he hears that anyone listens to a radio uh, station other than KFUO.
1: I think he's just saying I'm embarrassed by this guy. I don't ever want to drive anywhere with him so that uh, people don't think I'm weird. You know,
2: I, I didn't say any of that out loud. Uh, but But this is very much the case where when we do encounter our culture, sometimes we end up, our culture ends up celebrating the very things that God has called us away from. And that kind of mindfulness to God's word to be able to say, oh, this popular song, this teaching uh, that's in the news, this... uh, that I heard somebody say be it a a late night television personality or a politician or whoever may be speaking and we can weigh that on God's Word because that pattern of God's Word through the liturgy has just come to be part of who we are and we've internalized it Uh, so often those parts of scripture that we have so close at hand and, and ready to apply in our lives are those words from the liturgy um, and those words from the catechism that we've memorized and come to know. And this is why the memorization of the liturgy and of the catechism is so important because the word of Christ dwells in us richly, as it says in Colossians 3. And as it continues to live inside of us, it works its way to the outside, too, and we get to confess that truth about the God who declares us righteous to others.
3: Well, and I've been working with our high schoolers on discerning media and you know, thinking through what's actually being said. What's the worldview being presented? How is it jive with God's word kind of thing? And uh, I told him that it's going to ruin music and movies for you because you're going to watch and you're going to be like, wow, that is terrible for this reason. Like it's w- really well done, but boy, this is teaching something awful, you know? And uh, yeah, so that that whole idea of listening and having God's word at hand to evaluate what we hear and all that yeah and and it really does provide this good practice for it and especially as it brings it back
1: to again so that i don't get stuck in the rut spinning my tires in the mud when it comes to my own life too i can look at and identify this is why you're feeling pretty crummy right now you've been living against god's word repent oh wait i've acknowledged my situation now what do i do oh i i have faith i believe that christ has died for this let me run to my pastor a father confessor a pastor for a pastor and and seek that absolution that i may be forgiven all right so contrition of faith we're back to the point now i spun it back around see how i did that done. maybe not so much but uh pastor why don't you go ahead and pick up in reading and take us to the end of the section here and we'll finish these thoughts
2: picking up in the apology of the augsburg confession article 12b or sorry 12a at paragraph 95 here we must know that this faith should be confident that god freely forgives us for christ's sake for the sake of his own promise not for the sake of our works contrition confession or satisfactions for if faith relies upon these works it immediately becomes uncertain because the terrified conscience sees that these works are unworthy so ambrose speaks well about repentance therefore it is proper for us to believe both that we are to repent And that we are to be pardoned, but in such a way as to expect pardon from faith, which obtains pardon as from handwriting, from a handwriting. And again, it is faith that covers our sins. So far, Ambrose. Therefore, there are sentences written by the fathers not only about contrition and works, but also about faith, But the adversaries, since they understand neither the nature of repentance nor the language of the fathers, select passages about a part of repentance, namely, about works. They overlook the declarations made elsewhere about faith, since they do not understand them.
1: Can I give the Millennial Standard Version translation for this? Yeah. Yeah. Take things in their whole context. Just don't take out certain parts, and uh, you're idiots, by the way. I think that's basically what he's saying, right? Yeah. No. No, wait. <laughs> I that, was setting you up oh. there. <laughs> I, was, I mean, he does kind of have this this kind of snark to him, right? He does. You, know, he's, you know, and and so it wasn't kind of. Com- it, it wasn't complete. My oh, summary right okay. there, yeah, right? What? What? It's it's not just you're you're taking things out of context and omitting these things, and you're not reading the fathers and understanding what they're saying. Right? And I think behind it, he would also be saying you're not reading scripture. Right? Right? Uh, but it's it's ultimately lacking this faith. You gotta have the faith in there uh, that completes the whole whole idea. So talk about that, Pastor Dembski. Well, the, give us the uh, millennial standard version for that.
3: Ooh, I I don't know. Put you on the spot. All right, go back to what you were going to say. <laughs> I was going to say I've. Uh, I think I said a couple weeks ago. I've been reworking through Law and Gospel, just getting re-familiar with it and stuff because I hadn't read it in a while. Who wrote and, that again, by the way? C. Uh, F. W. Is that enough initials, I think? CFW Walter. Walter yeah, we you know, yeah, we
1: commemorated him yesterday. Yes, and that's right. If I had my way, we'd have a whole week, maybe even a month for him. Yeah, but <laughs> thanks for bringing no, him up. But great great guy on the show.
3: You're welcome. You're welcome. So, um, no, but the, the point was going to be that uh, uh, he makes the, the point that a good sermon is not one that just preaches the law or it's not just preaching the gospel. It's one that preaches the law and the gospel. And when you just forget one or the other, or you omit one or the other, then you've got a big problem. And you hear so many times where um, uh, one or the other, you might have a really good sounding sermon that's got a lot about how we should live as Christians and stuff, but it doesn't actually proclaim Christ. It doesn't proclaim the forgiveness of sins. It just puts the weights on our back even more and more and more. So the by them leaving out the faith side by leaving out the ultimately absolution and Christ side of Christianity, right? Um, you just, you, you don't have what scripture teaches. And, and I love what it says about faith there too uh, paragraph ninety
1: five Here we must know that this faith should be confident that God freely forgives us for christ 's sake, for the sake of his own promise, not for the sake of our works, contrition, confession, or satisfactions. I think that is just so spot on and and faith really has to be confidence in the goodness and promises of God that says you're forgiven. And then these things will flow forth. And and that is so spot on for what the Reformation is all about, and especially uh, tying into how we live as confessing people, as repentant people. I mean, the first of the 95 theses, we've said it before as we've been covering this article, the first of the 95 theses quotes our Lord and says, When our Lord and Master says, Repent, He wills that the whole life of the believer be one of repentance. I mean, Jesus begins His earthly ministry saying, Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so this really is central to the Christian life. And to to have an understanding of repentance that is only works-based, pulls out the beauty of the gospel, what Christ has come for. So with just about a minute left here, Pastor, do you want to transition us very briefly into where we will be going, although not our team next week, into the article on confession and satisfaction? How does that tie into this issue?
2: So this is divided between contrition and faith and contrition and or confession and satisfaction. And there was a strong emphasis by the adversaries and the opponents of the confessors that first you have to be contrite enough. You have to be really sorry and to be sorry enough. And then after you confess your sins, you have to do the right things. You have to satisfy God that you really were sorry. And so they're going to look at the same issue from a different perspective and say, you can't make God happy by your actions. Just like you can't be contrite enough, you also can't undo your sin good enough.
1: Indeed, what is necessary is faith. And faith clings to the promise. This is the understanding that we have of repentance. It is two parts. It is contrition, acknowledgement of your situation, and faith, which trusts the promises of God. Dear Christian, if you desire to live the Christian life, live a repentant life. Go receive the gifts that God has to give you in the liturgy, in the church, from your pastor. And thanks for listening today and confessing with us what repentance is all about. Until next time, keep confessing, church.